Human Vortex Training and Menachem Brody present the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, where we talk strength training, physiology, psychology, tech, and much more to help you get fitter, faster, and stronger in and out of your sport, giving you expert insights, talking with other leading experts. And now, your host, world-leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 90 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete podcast. Now, 1990 was the year that I started collecting baseball cards. Random fact of the decade right there, or maybe the millennium, and I actually accrued over 75,000 baseball cards. Now, unfortunately for me, about halfway through there, or two-thirds of the way through, the whole market crashed, uh, and the cards that I had that I had been planning to pay for college with uh, lost about 95% of their value. So it pays to recognize when a bubble is forming and uh, when it's about to pop. Now, Today's episode is why do cyclists and triathletes have back pain? So we're about to pop a large bubble of belief, false belief. Now, there is a really important disclaimer before we get into today's episode. These, uh, This episode and all topics that are going to be covered today are not meant to diagnose, cure, or uh, otherwise treat anybody in any way, shape, or form. If you or someone you know is having back pain, the best approach is to have them go to a physical therapist and or a doctor to be appropriately assessed. If you would like a more thorough assessment and you are suffering back pain and have been for quite some time and have not been able to get a treatment plan that has actually helped you and you have been told that surgery is your last resort or that the pain is quote-unquote all in your head, you can search out a McGill Method certified practitioner such as myself at backfitpro.com, backfitpro.com. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are mine, my own, and in no way reflect or are connected to BackFit Pro, NSCA, USA Cycling, or USA Triathlon, or any of my other uh, clients or certifying agencies. They are my opinions and thoughts alone and do not reflect anything of those companies at all. Now that we've got the technical stuff out of the way, let's dive into today's episode. And I, I was one last thing I do want to make a point at. Um, if anybody out there listening is a researcher and would like to actually go through and work with me on the research for any of the topics and thoughts uh, that I've expressed here, I am interested in working together. Uh, so you can email me, B as in boy, R-O-D as in dog, I-E at humanvortextraining.com, brody at humanvortextraining.com. Uh, I would really love to actually formalize a lot of these thoughts uh, and experiences so I have more than empirical evidence uh, for the second half of today's podcast episode. Uh, it's not to say there aren't a lot of uh, valuable insights here, but it is to say that uh, I'd really like to actually study this uh, much more deeply rather than just as people come around. So obviously my receiving my certification as a McGill Method Certified Practitioner a number of uh, months ago has helped significantly. I am getting emails from cyclists and triathletes from around the world at this point. Uh, now don't get it mistaken. I'm not flooded with emails, but I am getting a trickle here uh, of those who have had back pain who've been told that it's all in their head or surgery is their last resort, uh, but nobody has really been able to help them get out of pain. So some of you are listening uh, are listening because we have those conversations and I've referred you to a McGill Method certified practitioner nearest you, uh, or you'll be flying in to see me as soon as uh, things calm down just a little bit in the world because you're functional and we got you going in the right place through a virtual assessment uh, and session. Now, if you'd like to set up a virtual assessment or a uh, session or a phone call, again, Brody B as in boy, R-O-D as in dog, I-E at humanvortextraining.com. Uh, the calls are paid, uh, but uh, should we decide that a session is right for you, uh, that fee is rolled into uh, what the larger fee would be for the full, uh, full on get up. Now, for today's episode, back pain and cyclists and triathletes. This is a very tricky topic, and there are a lot of rabbit holes that we could get lost down. Now, let's make one thing clear. The answer here will always be it depends. There is no one answer for everybody. 
a couple weeks back, uh, as Basecamp was ra- wrapping up, I joined uh, Tim Cusick and Kathy Watts and the team at Velocious Cycling uh, for their fantastic program. Uh, and in one of the last days of the last week, uh, somebody posted a picture uh, and said that their company was encouraging health and wellness and you get certain points. And this is one exercise that they recommend. And it was essentially um, the Superman ep- exercise where you lay on your stomach, you lift your arms and legs off the ground and you go into hyperextension for the lower back. And they wanted to know what my thoughts were. Uh, My thoughts are it it depends. Uh, This could be a good exercise for somebody or a bad exercise for somebody, uh, but it really comes down to what exactly is going on for that person. And that's where we have to, or that's what we have to keep in mind as we go through the uh, podcast here today, because there is no one treatment that is going to help all back pain patients. And this is something in one of the, the magical parts, if you will, of the McGill method is it is a thorough physical assessment where uh, we are going down the rabbit hole. And this is completely different. This is not somebody reading a couple books and going, oh, yeah, I know what the McGill method is. It's a big three. In order to become certified, you really need to know your stuff, uh, and you really need to be able to understand uh, how things work, how things don't work, and to be able to differentiate between good and bad information, uh, and what's called noise and actual uh, an artifact and actual important things throughout an assessment. So it's it's much more than just reading a couple books and taking a, a written and practical exam. Uh, It's quite in time intense as well, just as the assessment is. And this is where we're going to start today's conversation. A large number of cyclocentric triathletes are suffering back pain. And this, in large part, has to do uh, with a multitude of variables. But one of the the major factors is going to be, uh, we're going to start off with strength. Uh, This is the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, so we're going to start off with the strong part and make you more savvy here on episode 90, uh, talking about why we have back pain. And it comes down to cycling and back pain uh, for a number of years have essentially been synonymous, so much more so than uh, basketball players or uh, who else do I work with? Volleyball players, uh, CrossFitters, even like CrossFitters usually know what they did to screw up their back. And there, there are a couple out there that have come to me and they had no clue. But when you watch the videos, pretty obvious when you point it out, they're like, Oh yeah, I guess that does make sense. But for cyclists and triathletes, we spend a lot of time in a forward crouch position. We also do not spend a lot of time strength training or strength training appropriately, I should say. Especially the last couple of years, we've gone from let's lift light weights for high repetitions because we're endurance athletes and we need endurance, hooray, um, bicep curls and tricep pushdowns. And, you know, why is my voice going higher for that? Because these are the people that are really excited about it because it's endurance. But that's not what we need. Uh, strength training when done properly. And we've covered this a uh, number of times here, also in the blog post over at humanvortextraining.com. Uh, strength training when done appropriately for performance uh, takes a while to get to that heavy stuff. In fact, it could take anywhere from uh, as short as uh, six weeks uh, or it can be as long as nine to 12 months. Uh, As you heard last week, Uh, episode with Erin Carsons of EC Fit Boulder. So she works with a number of professional triathletes and she said just point blank, you know what? I really, uh, we rarely, if ever, start with any type of load. We start with movement competency and go from there. But you can go ahead after we're done here and listen to episode 89 with Erin Carsons of EC Fit Boulder uh, and her uh, work with professional triathletes. But that's really one of the main tenets of our sport is we're not weight-bearing and we are really lacking in strength training uh, and understanding what we actually need to get out of our strength training to get better performances. Uh, There are so many people out there that are hawking uh, sports-specific movements of lunges and squats and, oh, you got to do heavy deadlifts because you need to lift heavy stuff. Uh, Well, it's all uh, very well-meaning. They mean well. Uh, I haven't met a single personal trainer or coach who does anything uh, out of malice. I mean, we just don't know what we don't know. And that's what pushed me to write my first book, uh, The Vortex Method. The second edition will be out here very soon. Uh, It'll be renamed, uh, so you can check for the link. Uh, But it gives you the full-on approach. It's not just an exercise book. And I know that ruffled a couple people's feathers a number of episodes back. I talked about one uh, review that someone said, oh, I had to go through 80% of the book to get to the workouts. This book is not open it up, follow this one workout approach, and then you're going to get stronger. There are a couple books out there in that way. I won't name them uh, because it doesn't matter. This book is completely different. This is the full-on system. This is everything you need to know 
the warm-ups, the different types of exercises that you can be doing, uh, the six or the fundamental five plus one human movements that need to be accounted, but not necessarily done with load every single training pro uh, program, uh, which part of the workout needs to be consistent and done regularly, why year-round strength training is important. All of this is put in the book. That's the first 80% is it tells you exactly the why we're doing what we're doing as well as how to do it to get the results that you need. And then the last 80% is the workout plan. So that would be the standard uh, training plan that most of you would expect, but it's year round. It's not just for the base period. So you get three full year uh, strength training programs. Now I'm not trying to turn this into a pitch for the book, which it uh, kind of did. But what I am trying to stress to you is that strength training and how most cyclists and triathletes think, think about it of, you know, there's no swim specific workouts in this book, or there's no sprinting specific workouts in this book. That's because the fundamental five plus one human movements are the fundamental five plus one human movements. You need to get better at doing those. And then you need to go to the chapter on conversion to on-bike intervals or conversion to on-bike strength through interval work uh, in order to convert it over. And that's what a lot of people are missing uh, is the riding the bike skill and positioning side of things. Now, the interesting part of this is that so many people miss that when it comes to actually being able to ride your bike better uh, and painless or uh, pain-free, it means that you really need to take the time to be able to learn how to ride your bike. You need to learn how to pedal. You need to learn how to corner. You need to learn how to brake. You need to learn how to do all of these things. And yet, in my decade and a half, almost decade and six years of coaching solely cyclists, I can count on two fingers how many times more than five or six people showed up to a skill session. This is out of 25 to 40 people on teams that, oh, well, I, had, I forgot I had this. I had, oh, I don't need the skills. I'm already good enough. Uh, or I'm afraid I'm going to crash. That's the reason you should come. Uh, but let's not go down this rabbit hole anymore because we've got lots more to cover. So the strength is really important because as we go into our sport of cycling, um, there are a number of, of factors that we really need to take into consideration. It's not just the strength uh, of the muscles, but it's also the connective tissue. So um, we know that uh, to quote from the book, so this is from Low Back Disorders, third edition by Dr. Stuart McGill, uh, page 41. Uh, deviated postures greatly increase low back tissue loading, particularly when they must be held. This is uh, research done by Maras et al. in 1993 and Dr. McGill in 1997. And then the next is seated postures. So this was uh, static work postures. Now, I, I know that some of you will say that cycling is dynamic. You're moving around on the bike a considerable amount. Yes, that is true. It's not completely static, uh, but you are in that seated rounded forward position for a long period of time, uh, which does play into this. Now, the next uh, paragraph on page 41 is seated work postures. So, uh, Kelsey, 1975, linked the seated work posture to a greater risk of lower back disorders. Subsequently, Lira and colleagues in 1996 suggested that although white-collar sedentary workers who must sit for long periods of time have greater risk of lower back troubles, 8% uh, increase in odds, active blue-collar workers gain some prophylactic effect from sitting down, 14% reduction in odd risks. This suggests that variable work and not too much of any single activity may reduce mechanically induced low back troubles. Furthermore, this is the important part, furthermore, non-neutral spine postures while sitting exacerbate the incidence of occupational low back pain as noted in subway train and tractor operators. This is uh, Liss et al. 2007. And uh, in dentists who were not able to use backrests, uh, Rafa Menesh et al. 2013, using backrests can reduce spine loading up to three times by reducing the muscle activity needed to sit upright by Morrill and Brattle in 2013. Lastly, uh, just to kind of drive these points and my thoughts home and my experiences home, um, vibration. Vibration, particularly seated vibration, is linked to elevated rates of lower back disorders. Uh, example, Kelsey 1975, Liss et al. 2007, Pope 1989. Our work on cadaveric spines showed that exposure to vibrations similar to occupational exposures increased the progression of disc herniation and any resulting herniation. Yates and McGill 2011. 
Now, I don't usually, actually, I rarely like to read directly from a book, but uh, this is really, really important uh, to understand because I, I think a lot of people ha have missed this. Uh, I did have a conversation with Tim Holsgrove a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he recently published a study that was looking at vibrations and the effect of seat, rail, and uh, saddle, sorry, saddle, saddle, rail, and seat post composition in vibrations in the uh, cyclist. And that's not the exact definition. Uh, the article is out there on cycling tips. But he and I had a great conversation. We were on the phone for about an hour, uh, 47 minutes or so. Uh, and I had a couple questions for him. And he's going to continue to look into uh, the vibrations. But we know these are, are, are research studies that have been done and are proven and have gone through peer-reviewed publications as well as testing and retesting by other clinicians and other uh, researchers to see that they are in fact um, very relevant in developing of back pain. If you think about just those three topics we talked about here so far, static work postures where you're riding in that forward crouched position, uh, the deviated posture, right? So we are increasing the low back tissue loading, especially the passive tissues. Um, and we know that non-neutral spine positions while sitting, I mean, riding your bike, whether it's mountain biking or road biking, although mountain biking is a little bit more upright, you are very far from a neutral spine position. Nobody that I know of can healthily keep a neutral lumbar spine and rotate their pelvis that much while riding their bike with power. It just doesn't happen. And then you have the vibration, which will change as you go through the different road surfaces. Uh, if you have brick roads like you have over in Holland, the Netherlands, uh, or you have uh, different asphalt mixes, which change. Uh, that's something that uh, Tim did a great job of taking into account as well. But then when we actually look at uh, how the body is working and the delayed onset of specific muscle uh, muscles, torso muscles, uh, this is page 42, during sudden events may impair the spine's ability to achieve protective stability during situations such as slips and falls. Uh, so this is the traumatic uh, injury that could happen in cycling. However, uh, more importantly for the average cyclist, delays in muscle response have been observed to worsen when people focus on their pain, supporting the notion that neurophysiological pathway, uh, Butler et al. 2010. And lastly, uh, I know this is a little bit dry, but stick with me. Uh, Freeman, Masha, and McGill in 2013 found that inhibition of the gluteal muscles of the hip uh, in the presence of pain. So pain, uh, hip pain and back pain, uh, essentially disables the glutes from working. Let's take a step back and, and talk about all of these just a little bit. So this book, when I went through, and if you could see it, it's highlighted in red. It says cyclist, um, uh, uh, something about positions. I can't read my handwriting. Uh, deviated positions, road biking, mountain biking, um, and then I have cyclists. I mean, the, the, the columns here, the, the margins are, are filled with notes uh, because as I went through and had different cyclists come to me or triathletes come to me with back pain, hip pain, a uh, uh, number of other issues over the last uh, decade or so, I've just kept notes and I've gone back to the book and I've read it and I, I've gone through it. These are a lot of the contributing factors that very few people are talking about. So common nowadays, especially I see the advertisements on Facebook, uh, they're almost incessant right now because we're at the end of the winter. So uh, these two particular companies are really trying to get people in before most cyclists and triathletes stop thinking about strength training. Uh, they're like, oh, stretch your hip flexors and your psoas to relieve back pain. Stretch your hamstrings to relieve back pain. That's all a bunch of hogwash. Now, I say that, and I know that at the beginning of the podcast here, I said, well, it depends. It does depend. However, when we look at uh, the facts, which are research articles, number of research articles, which have been around since the 1980s, stretching does not resolve back pain. In fact, all it does is it decreases neural tension, and then it comes back even worse. And oftentimes, you're exacerbating the problem uh, because that neural tension is coming because things are out of alignment and muscles are weak and lengthened. So think about the hamstrings. The hamstrings for cyclists tend to be lengthened because of the position we're in. The psoas tends to get shortened, uh, but the psoas's main job is to help uh, maintain stability through the lower back, but your latissimus gets lengthened, your erecta spinae get lengthened, your pectoralis minor get lengthened. You are in these positions where these mus muscles, uh, sorry, your pectoralis minor shortens, excuse me, 
um, your abs are not firing appropriately. When I say abs, I'm talking about the rectus abdominis, uh, the six-pack muscle. They're not firing properly because you're not relying on them for that stiff spring. Most cyclists cannot produce the intra-abdominal pressure needed to lock their ribcage and pelvis together and thus supply good support to the spine. And this is where we look at a number of the studies that have already been done, and by deductive reasoning, we can deduce that when we take all things equal and we look at the common threads through this, cyclists and triathletes have a number of strikes against us. Number one, we don't like doing strength training correctly. First, we didn't like doing it at all. Now we've gone way too far on the other side of the pendulum and we're going way too heavy, way too fast, not with learning how to move properly. And I wrote a piece about this, uh, a two-part series in Pez Cycling News' uh, toolbox uh, back in March and April of 2021 of this year. Uh, so if you'd like to learn more about the intent and how you do an exercise and where you're getting the movement from, those would be the blog posts to check out. So I'll put a link to those here in the show notes. Um, but really, it comes down to we look at these and the deductive reasoning, which is not common sense, mind you, because common sense is neither common nor sensical. It is just what somebody thinks. And oh, that makes sense. So we'll roll with it. Um, and again, I would love to be involved in research. So if anybody out there is a researcher or knows a researcher who would be interested in looking at these things, uh, I've got some quite uh, well thought out hypotheses uh, and and tests that I'd like to go through based off my experiences to, to find out if these uh, deductive reasoning has led me down to the, the correct answer. And let's be honest here. I could be completely wrong. We may do the testing and find out that it's the exact opposite of what I thought, uh, that it is not uh, because we don't know how to tr produce intradominal pressure. It's not the passive tissue stretching, but it's a vibration, uh, but it's the inability of the muscles to fire properly. We can learn all these things, but we need to test them. So again, uh, these are thoughts and experiences over the last 16 years working with cyclists and triathletes, uh, specifically with back pain, and even those who say they don't have back pain. Uh, I've had a number of cyclists that I've done uh, phone interviews for, uh, for my Better Back and Hips program. Uh, ultimately, they decide not to sign up uh, for the reason that what, we're, what I'm saying to them doesn't match their mental mind map uh, of what's going on. They're like, oh no, I just need it. I just need some stretches. I don't need strengthening. I, 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 it's not a, it's not what you think it is. It's fine. It's just I, I moved wrong. Well, when you're 30 something, and there have been quite a few 30 something that I've I've spoken to the last six months who have sharp, severe, debilitating pain when they are on the floor playing with their kids or getting up or down off the floor to play with their younger kids. 30-something. Think about that. That's insane. How is that okay? How is that okay? And let's kind of use that to pivot into the second reason, uh, what I feel is the second reason, that cyclists and triathletes have back pain. And that is, uh, so we don't strength train. We have all of these factors going against us. And very few of us actually take the time and, and spend the cash, which really is cheap insurance, to get a proper bike fit that will allow us to work with how our body works. Now, this is something I did for a couple of years. Uh, I haven't done a bike fit uh, in probably about four years at this point. I just decided that, you know what? I enjoy the bike fitting. Uh, it's a lot of self-satisfaction, but there's a lot of really good bike fitters out there, but there isn't really anybody talking and teaching quality strength training for performance and to get out of pain and to stay healthy long periods of time for the rest of your life, really. Uh, a lot of people are just talking about cycling-specific squats and lunges and heavy deadlifts. Uh, so I just flipped that switch and turned to strength training. But there is some experience there with bike fitting, so I can I can talk to this not not at length, but I do have experience about seven and a half eight years of bike fitting experience, so somewhere around uh, uh, 180 or 200 and something fits at this point, low 200. So so I've seen enough people that I can actually speak intelligently about this. Um, the bike fit industry is replete with a number of individuals who have gone through, learned a system, learn how to match stick figures up to alignment on a computer screen, but don't actually see the person in front of them. They don't understand that people are not symmetrical. Sometimes the best fit for a person is not symmetrical, is not straight up and down for the knee and the ankle, uh, is not going to have the exact same width as their shoulders for their handlebars. 
there's a lot of different things. Sometimes the seat needs to be a little bit lower. Sometimes you do need a little bit of an upward or downward tilt of the saddle because that's what works for that person and their personal uh, physiology. That's how it works. We're, we're human beings. We're not machines or VW beetles where, you know, one in a thousand or one in 10,000 is a lemon. That's not how we work. We're all different. We're all asymmetrical beings. And this is where we really need to learn how to get a bike fit, uh, how to be our own best advocates uh, for ourselves as we go through the fit. So if you're in a bike fit and you feel like you're just getting fit to be a match to the stick figure on the screen, say something. And that bike fitter should have a reason for everything they're doing. And there are some times where I have answered, somebody says, well, why are we doing this? I say, you know, it's been my experience that when I see this type of movement pattern, this is what's going to work. So we're going to try this. Uh, if you don't mind, let's try it for a week. Uh, I do think that after a little bit of discomfort, it will work better for you because of your previous fit. And I've been wrong on two occasions where within two or three days, it came back and said, hey, you know what? That is not working for me. And they go right back in the fit stand. They don't get charged extra. We put them back the way they were for that specific thing. Uh, and then we continue the fit from there. And that that's what a good fitter should do. It shouldn't be, oh, well, you need to schedule and I need, you know, you need to pay me for another half hour. When you come for a fit, at least with me, uh, or when I did them, you got my time. You got two to four hours with me, depending on the length of time you needed. Uh, very thorough. I uh, did a full hip assessment, back assessment, uh, muscular assessment, movement assessment, and then we got on the bike, a verbal assessment. Then we got on the bike uh, and started tooling around a little bit. Uh, and if you needed, you got up to 45 minutes slots. Usually, you know, I've only had it once where we went an hour and a half, uh, but they were very special case. A lot of different stuff going on, and I knew that, and, and that wasn't charged extra. That is what it is. So great bike fitters, in my opinion, um, are going to charge you uh, more, but you're going to get far better expertise for that. And again, talk to other people uh, who they've done the fit for, but uh, we don't spend the 300 to 500 bucks on a bike fit. Or we say, 500 bucks on a bike fit? Are you kidding me? I can download an app for that. No, just no. And no, you cannot have people on the internet bike fit you through a video uh, or through a static photo. <laughs> a photo does not work at all. So don't post in a group saying, hey, can you help me fit my bike? There's too many variables here. Um, there are certain very general bar ballpark you can get people into. So if you're just getting started, you know, a virtual fit. I, I know a really uh, a great bike fitter who's doing virtual fits for uh, specific uh, uh, beginners and, and doing well with it. But he also has, I think, 20 years of bike fit experience. So he knows what he can't do. And it's just getting people in the ballpark and then saying, this will get you started and go see somebody or have somebody come to the house uh, so that you can actually be fit uh, depending on the COVID rules and whatnot. Want to learn more? Check out humanvortextraining.com for more on this topic from Coach Brody and today's guest. But uh, these are all variables, right? So we've got the flexed posture on the bike. Uh, and McGill did a research article. He has over 300, so I feel... I'm sorry that I don't have the exact name of the article offhand, uh, but he did a research article where they looked at the stretch of the passive tissues and how long it took for it to return. Uh, females actually return faster than males, although we do not know where in the menstrual cycle they were. So it may have been um, in the luteal phase or it could have been in the follicular phase. But as you've heard previously uh, from Martina Dune, uh, Sarah Duvall, uh, and myself, the luteal phase is going to, or the menstrual cycle rather, is going to significantly change the internal environment and how quickly they recover. So I, I, we can't talk about that. Uh, that wasn't on the radar. Again, you do a research uh, study, you publish it, and then it's up to other people to say, that's interesting. I wonder what these factors would look like, and then to develop a study off of that. Uh, and in fact, previous guest, Dr. Stephen Chung, uh, has done that with his uh, studies of temperature He's looked at other studies and said, oh, you know what? That would be really cool. Let's see what the temperature change does to that. So that, that's a fantastic podcast to listen to. Uh, he's also got a great series on YouTube, uh, which you can find as well, which uh, the name escapes me off the top of my head. Um, but we had him uh, just a short bit ago. I think it was uh, back in the 50s uh, is when we had him on. Um, but you really, yeah, episode 50 was Dr. Stephen Chung. So make sure to take a listen to that when we're, you're done with here today. But these are the types of things that we need to think about. Um, so back onto the 
the research that Dr. McGill did is they put an individual, they, they strapped them into seat. He was in a forward, forward flex position. My first instinct uh, or reaction rather upon seeing the position was like, holy crap, that is 60% of the cyclists I see who've never had a bike fit. So the individual held that static position. Uh, I think it was a half hour or an hour. I can't remember, maybe 20 minutes. And they measured the tissue creep. So the passive tissue stretched on the posterior side uh, of the back, as well as the annulus, that's the inside, uh, or the, the nucleus uh, was pushed or pressurized posteriorly in the annulus or the disc uh, of your back. And over time, when that posture is held, such as sitting at a desk, sitting on a bike, especially going over vibrations, going over road bumps, uh, going over rough pavement, um, bunny hopping things, and you're sitting down, uh, this is going to add up to, over time, the nucleus is like a, a phlegm-like material inside the disc, and it, it essentially works its way out through the, the annulus uh, because of that uh, that movement also, if you have very poor core stability and you and you introduce any type of rotation, which I've seen with a number of cyclists that have come to me, including two that have written on teams for me, where their hips rotate the opposite way than their uh, rib cage, and it creates this rotational. We know that rotation with force uh, is one of the fastest ways uh, to to delaminate the disc. So essentially, you're working towards a, a, a herniation much faster. Uh, and this is through through Stu's uh, research, not mine. And so we see this with uh, cyclists and triathletes who have very poor uh, trunk strength. They don't, they aren't able to resist. They don't produce rotary stability to resist this rotation. Uh, and over time, they will get to that back pain. And then uh, they'll try all types of different stuff: creams, KT tape, kinesio tape, massage, chiropractor acupuncture, but you haven't treated the actual root of the cause, which go back to point number one here on the podcast is the strength and the movement capacities that you have, not sports specific of lunges and deadlifts and squats, but the fundamental five plus one of push, pull, squat, hinge, press, rotary stability, and then building off of that to learn how to produce proximal stiffness to get distal motion in through the shoulders and the hips. So yes, we are going to be in a forward flex position. And there are a lot of other factors that come into play uh, that will determine whether you are going to have back pain or discomfort uh, because of these physiological changes. But it really tie, comes down to movement competency and understanding of the forces that be and understanding how to take better care of yourself. So as I'm sitting here, uh, you may hear my chair squeak because I'm changing sitting positions. Uh, every couple of minutes, I have a back support in through my uh, my reclining chair. Uh, sometimes I recline back and then I'll come back up and then continue. But these movement changes mitigate or change the tissue stresses that I'm placing in my back. So uh, sitting in one position is actually one of the worst things you can do. So you actually want to shift positions. You want to change how the tissues and the structures are taking on those stresses. Uh, anybody that's worked in physical therapy in a long-term care knows that the patients who are immobile uh, need to be turned uh, every so often. It's quite a few times a day. They need to be changed in their position because the pressures can create pressure sores, which are extremely painful, uh, called bed sores, and they happen where the bones are um, usually, uh, and they, they work their way through the soft tissues. So think about that as a cyclist. A lot of people say, oh, I need to sit this way and stay this way. Well, those constant small shifts and this is where the trainer brings out a lot of back pain. I see an uptick in emails every fall and winter when people start getting on the trainer and putting on more miles because of the inclement weather, the cold weather, whatever it may be, time. Hey, I just started riding the trainer. I think something's wrong with it, but my back has been hurting me. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? I've tried stretches, da 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 when you're riding the trainer, you're essentially stuck in one position. When we're outside, the bike moves under you. Yes, we have the vibrations and all these other things, but the bike is gently moving or, or micro moves underneath you side to side, up and down. You're standing a bit more. You have to stop. You have to start again. So you're really uh, using these shifts in positions to help you to be able to take the stresses off the tissues. But for a triathlete, especially Ironman, and this is why uh, over the last six years or so, I've really changed my approach with my my Ironman triathletes and half Ironman, we don't spend massive amounts of time uh, in one go in the TT bars. 
until we are a couple, you know, maybe two to three months before. But then we really work to reverse that um, or, or to take into account those long times in those positions through our strength training work. Uh, and they're very, and they're coached on good spine hygiene throughout the rest of their day. So that's the third part of back pain for cyclists and triathletes is we have poor strength. We don't get bike fits. Uh, that strength again, has to do with, uh, intra-abdominal pressure and our ability to fire the muscles. And we just don't know how to move. Well, uh, the third one, is we don't practice good spine hygiene. And I'm totally guilty of this. Uh, I, I've asked my wife a couple times, but we were so busy. Uh, you know, I said, hey, when I'm slouching, can you please just take a short, like either a photo or a video so I can post this and show people what I look like so they can be aware, you know, here's this guy who's a McGill Method certified practitioner and he gets into bad postures. And he's doing things with poor spine hygiene occasionally through the day. And I have a back injury. You know, that's how I got into the McGill method uh, about 20 years ago is I had a disc herniation. I had two surgeons uh, tell me that, that it would need to be a surgery to fix it. And I'm like, I'm under the age of 25. I'm not getting a freaking disectomy. Uh, and that's how I found uh, Dr. McGill and and found my way out of my pain, did it again with my hip injury. Um, I've done it again here with COVID. This last year, if you don't know, I broke my fibula in uh, uh, accident in 2019 in August. Uh, I tore my meniscus in March 2019. So my lifting significantly dropped from there. I still kept it up. Uh, my coach and I worked very hard to make sure that I was still maintaining my strength. Uh, broke my fibula two weeks before I was supposed to have the meniscus surgery. Uh, then Corona hit. Uh, well, correction, then we had a baby, then Corona hit. So my strength and my resiliency has gone down and I had tens of hours on the sofa. Now, many of you may be saying, yeah, well, you could have gone out and worked. We live on the third floor, no elevator. Uh, the crutches at the stairs tend to be very slippery. It just was a non-starter, especially with the kid coming. I needed to help around the house. Uh, it was just a non-starter. So yeah, I could have gone out. If we had an elevator, I probably would have, uh, but just the risk of something else going wrong was not worth it uh, to go up and down those stairs two, two three times a day uh, to keep working in person. Uh, but we had kettlebells at home, so I worked through the strength. But the last four months of corona, our last lockdown, did me in. Uh, we were locked in, in home. Granted, we managed to get out for walks. Walking is one of the best things we can do uh, when you do it properly with great posture and uh, nice relaxed arms can really be very th therapeutic when done properly. Um, and that helped me. But, you know, when we didn't have access to the super heavy weights and I wasn't able to get the loading that I needed to, uh, plus sitting in these chairs all day, because uh, there's only so much walking you can do. And there's also things that need to get done. So these all correlate to poor spine hygiene throughout the day. And this is the third big factor, as I've already kind of stated here, that cyclists and triathletes have is you're not taught how to move well. So when I change my son and he's on the bed as opposed to the changing table, I have to round my back if I'm not paying attention. If I'm paying attention, I have to do a 15 to 30 second or longer uh, static hinge in order to change him well. Now what I do uh, usually is I will change, I will do a hip hinge to come up, pulling the hips through, uh, step and rotate from the hip to take the uh, wet ones, and then step back, rotate back, uh, and then hinge back down and, and go through that way. But I'm not perfect. There are days where I'm tired, I'm not paying attention, or he's being squeamish, and I'm just holding it, I just adjust, and then when I'm back, lets me know, or my wife lets me know. <laughs> uh, but these are the types of things that you need to learn how to do. So understanding that Getting up out of bed first thing in the morning and doing these static stretches where you're going into flexion uh, are not good. Your discs are, are hydrophilic. So your intervertebral discs are overfilled first thing in the morning for about the first one to two hours, um, depending on the person, depending on what type of stuff you're doing. So one of the best things you can do is get up and stand and move while, while you're standing. Walking uh, is also really good, but go, getting up and doing some hamstring stretches and, and really pushing yoga or getting on the time trial bike first thing in the morning is pretty much a non-starter um, because you are overfilled. Now we can of course do uh, the cow camel exercise, uh, six to eight repetitions through very gentle, full range of motion, not pushing for more range of motion, uh, but just to kind of work that extra fluid out, that tends to mitigate the risk quite a bit. But ideally we want to get on the time trial bike in the afternoon, uh, as long as you're pain-free in the afternoon or the evening, uh, once your discs have had time to come back down to their normal uh, height. Now, 
if you're chronically dehydrated, you can have the opposite uh, problem at the end of the day where you've now lost disc height. Uh, and a number of other reasons could lead to that. There could be an end plate fracture. There can be loss of the nucleus fluid because you have, uh, you've had a previous herniation. Uh, disc ball, there's a lot of different things going on, but just speaking for someone who's been relatively healthy, no other back trauma, um, if you're chronically dehydrated over time, that may be a factor for back pain because now your disc isn't giving that proper space in between the intervertebral bodies, and now you're kind of colliding into one another, and that can cause a whole other uh, number of things. So we've talked about a lot so far. Uh, we started off, we talked about how uh, at the beginning there's a lot of different factors, research, number of research articles that have been done looking at static work postures, sitting in a flexed position for long periods of time, vibrations. Uh, we also heard, and this is where we're going to go next, uh, about the delay in, in muscle response and, and being able to properly brace uh, and support the spine. Uh, and we also, this is where we're going now, uh, the inhibition of the gluteal muscles of the hip in the presence of pain. And again, this was Freeman, uh, Masha, and McGill uh, back in 2013. So cyclists are well-known and triathletes as well for not having well-developed glutes and having very poor hip range of motion. The number of, of triathletes I've seen, especially uh, half Ironman and Ironman distance uh, with next to no gluteal activation uh, or strength is extremely large. And this is where uh, it takes time. So I have a, a triathlete I've been working with for about two years, a year and a half, uh, 19 months at this point. Um, and we've been rebuilding this triathlete from looking like they're running and laffy taffy uh, to actually having some spring uh, in the fascia and being able to push with the glutes. And it took us some time. They were able to squat, but they didn't squat well. It was very quad dominant. And it takes time. This is where that intent matters. Uh, and over again in that Ped Cycling News um, toolbox piece from March, uh, I actually have a video of me showing the intent uh, of a 3131 goblet squat and how you do the bottom. Uh, if you're just hanging out there passively and you're hanging on your quads, you're not going to get what you could or should out of that exercise. But let's stick to the gluteal muscles and the hip. The hip itself has a number of muscles that surround it. Uh, they're the deep hip rotators. Uh, these are the deep six. These are also the muscles that form the pelvic floor. So ladies, if you've had a baby and you have a weakened pelvic floor, you have leaking. Men also, by the way, can have leaking as well. Um, it tends to happen uh, as we get up in age over our fifth decade uh, as the prostate enlarges and different things change. But if you have had any type of pelvic floor issues, you'll be very familiar with these deep hip rotators because your therapist, your pelvic floor therapist, will have worked with you uh, on that and on breathing and on hip strength quite significantly or for quite some time because that is absolutely paramount. Now, poor gluteal strength, it's not just that the glutes supply or should supply 33% of the power as you stomp down on those pedals. Uh, it goes far above and beyond that. The glutes actually help to suck the head of the femur back into this acetabulum and provide a little bit of external rotation. Now, the problem with many cyclists is the adductors get tight and we lose the ability to internally and externally rotate the hip. Now, internal rotation at the hip, it's a little bit counterintuitive. So if you're sitting on a chair, the internal rotation at a hip, put your uh, upper leg parallel to the ground, foot flat on the floor. The internal rotation of the hip is where you were to sit with the foot flat on the floor, knee at 90 degrees, uh, hip at 90 degrees, back neutral, so sitting nice and tall. You take your foot out to the side. So keep the knee where it is, pretend your upper thigh bone, the femur is on a uh, spit, and you're just gonna rotate out. Most cyclists have very poor internal rotation of the hip. I know I do, but I have other considerations. Now, the external uh, rotation is going to be where you take the foot towards the midline of the body. Uh, so many cyclists will find they can do a certain amount, uh, but what actually happens is they are cranking on their lower back because the hip is tight, the body's gonna get the movement somewhere else. This is where joint position dictates muscle function. When you cannot get movement from one joint, other joints are gonna compensate, other muscles are going to compensate. Uh, and this is very important for cyclists and triathletes, especially triathletes, because you gotta get off the bike, you still gotta run, so you're fatigued. You've just used your quads a whole lot and your hamstrings because most of you are pulling up on the backstroke. Uh, the hamstring timing is all screwy because you're cycling instead of running. Now you're introducing ground forces. You don't have good hip 
internal or external rotation, or you're missing a lot of internal rotation for your abilities, you don't have good glute strength, what do you think is going to happen if you go out and pound the pavement after a swim and a bike uh, and try and do a half marathon or marathon? Yeah, you're going to have issues. You're going to compensate. And that's part of the sport, certainly. Yes, you could say that. That is part of the sport. But what the best do, and we heard this from Aaron, is they get this movement competency. And then they build strength on top of that. And they're doing hypertrophy work. I've had a number of, of interactions now online the last couple of months where some coaches, uh, they essentially say, well, let's just say some coaches are, are ahead of the curve, are ahead of research. Right. Okay. So the hypertrophy, we're all wrong. Those of us who are working with professionals or helping people get out of pain, we're all wrong. The range of five to 12 repetitions is complete garbage and endurance athletes should completely ignore the benefits that come with them from proper programming. <laughs> no. Um, we need to learn how to grow the glutes. If there's one area, actually there's two areas of the body that I, I have had uh, this is completely empirical and off the top of my head. I haven't actually looked through the charts, but it just came to mind. I would say there are two areas of the body where most of the cyclists and triathletes I work with have seen an increase in muscle size and muscle mass. Number one is the mid and lower traps uh, where they've got a little bit more density. Um, I can think of three off the top of my head who now have mountains back there, small mountains, and they're way stronger, uh, both for climbing on the bike and for swimming, and glutes. You know, people have jokingly called me the triathlete glute guy <laughs> or the cyclist glute guy. Um, Brett Contreras is the glute guy. I've learned from him. Very nice guy. Uh, very knowledgeable about the glutes as well. Uh, and I use some of those principles. We do hypertrophy. Hypertrophy in and of itself is not bad. It's a matter of when you are doing hypertrophy because you don't know what you're doing. And you're just prescribing five to 12 repetitions because you don't understand how to build for performance or when the hypertrophy range is appropriate because you need that hypertrophy. Max strength is built on the platform of hypertrophy. There are certain principles or excuse me, there are certain properties that you're going to get from hypertrophy, uh, more of from the hypertrophy range, but you've got to get the loading uh, and the rest periods correct. Um, but let's get off of this rabbit hole and move on to the next. Um, when we look at a collection of works measuring gluteal, this is page 45, uh, the third edition of Low Back Disorders, a collection of works measuring gluteal and lateral torso muscles suggests that endurance deficits predict those who will develop pain. Gallagher, Nelson, Wong, and Callahan, 2011. Marshall, Patel, Callahan, 2011. Nelson, Wong, and Callahan, 2010. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. The lateral endurance, a lot of people do the, the side plank incorrectly, and I, I've you can find me, I guess at this point, ad nauseum talking about how most people do the side plank incorrectly by stacking the feet. It was an artist rendition mistake. Uh, Stu, actually, Dr. McGill, actually developed that exercise. Uh, it was a sketching done, and by the time Dr. McGill actually saw the, the mock-up of it, they had already printed you know tens of thousands of textbooks, uh, just how things work. So that's what became popular. But really, the way you should be doing the exercise is top foot forward, uh, because this activates uh, more of the four compartments, neural compartments of the obliques. You have to do a little bit of movement in through there to actually get all four to fire, but there's a, a medial and lateral and upper and lower compartment nervous from the nervous system neurologically for the obliques, as well as the fact that those muscles work in unison with the serratus anterior on the same side and the external obliques tie into the serratus anterior. Uh, on the opposite side, as well as the glutes on the same side. Uh, so these muscles need to work together. So the glutes uh, and the obliques have to be able to fire together as well as the adductor, the inner thigh muscles on the other side of the body. So that side plank with the top foot forward looks relatively strikingly similar to a walking motion. Uh, and this is because we're providing uh, a lot of different support to the body through the fascial system. Uh, you can listen to episode 86 where I went through and, and talked about that just a little bit um, and, and kind of tipped off, uh, if you will, what we were going to cover here today. And you can hear my, my voice is getting a little bit uh, dry. Uh, I apologize for that. But back in uh, episode 86, The Core is More, uh, I talked about this topic uh, of the fascial system as well as uh, made note of another book uh, that you can pick up. Now, continuing on here, um, there is, I would call it a problem. 
This isn't just for cyclists and triathletes. This goes for a number of back pain uh, patients. A number have been told by clinicians, surgeons, doctors, that the pain is in their head. Can you imagine how that makes someone feel? The pain is in your head. And you know it's completely real. This is my opinion, and nobody else's. And this is not, again, not a reflection of anybody else, uh, any of my certifications, anything like that. My opinion is that when a clinician or a doctor says that to you, what they're really saying is, I don't have the skills to understand what exactly is going on. If you understand and you deeply understand uh, the tissues and the mechanics of the back, there's going to be a reason. Now, sometimes it's things like cysts. Sometimes it's a nerve getting stuck. Uh, but really what these clinicians and doctors are saying is, I've run out of these skills and tools that I have to be able to help you. And yet I see this very prevalent um, and again, I have a small experience with this, with the worldwide cycling community, but I've, I've had a number of cyclists come to me who say, oh yeah, well, the doctor that I saw also rides in my group and he just said, oh, well, you're just getting slower as you get older. So you're, you're imagining this back pain. Can you imagine? I'd want to punch the guy. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a physical violent person, but I'd want to punch him. <laughs> Man, are you kidding me? Uh, it turns out this person had something very simple that we were able to resolve with just is the skill set and the tool set to, to move the nerve <laughs> and change their spine hygiene throughout the day. And within, I think it was either three weeks or three months, I can't remember, they were pain-free. So we need to be very careful. Uh, if somebody ever says to you that the pain's in your head, there, there's, you know, the problem with back pain and a lot of practitioners is they learn one way. Physical therapy, you treat an ACL surgery this way. You treat a meniscus injury with this type of tear this way. And it's very black and white. And I've had a number of conversations personally with uh, physical therapists uh, here and abroad. Well, how does what you do differ from what I do, you know? And it's, well, I'm, I'm listening to the person, listen to their life, listen to the events. We go through a very thorough and specific, uh, a thorough assessment to determine what the exact mechanism and tissues, mechanism was and what tissues are involved. And then we come up with a, a treatment plan from there. Oh yeah, well, I do the same thing. And, and meanwhile, they just give everybody the McKenzie approach. Well, that can work for some people, but not for all. You have to have these skills. Every back is different. Every patient, every every person that I've worked with who's had a disc bulge, uh, who's had a, a, a nerve catch, uh, has presented differently. They have a different story. They have different movement patterns. They, they have different jobs. They have different uh, activities. They sleep differently. They move differently. So you can't treat every single one the same. We have to subcategorize back pain. And that's what the other thing that's missing for cyclists. And this is where we're going to wrap up for today. I know this is a long uh, episode solo. Usually it's a half hour, 40 minutes tops. But there's a lot to cover here, and I know that I've opened a lot of rabbit holes for you, but I want you to explore these because these are really important. Uh, the Back Mechanic book by Dr. Stuart McGill is absolutely fantastic and, and is a must-read uh, if you've suffered any type of back pain at all and will really enlighten you uh, quite a bit. Now, when we look at different people, there are different spine shapes, different spine thicknesses, uh, and this is also a determining factor. And this is where our individuality, and this is the last thing, our fourth point today, and that back pain happens for cyclists and triathletes. You can have the same uh, setup as another person who's the same weight, the same height, roughly the same age, or exactly the same age, the same bike, but you have back pain and they don't. And that has to do with physiological differences. So it could be just the shape of your spine. You may have, they may have a very slender spine uh, and very uh, round, whereas yours is more limacon and thicker, and it just doesn't bend that way. 
And that's why you're having these issues. It could be because of an injury that you sustained back when you were 12. I remember talking, I won't say the person's name or, or, or tip off where they were, uh, but I was doing a, a recording for uh, uh, a social media uh, or a media outlet. And uh, I went and interviewed the presenter who was working with me. And it turned out that in, in the assessment, I saw something with his hip. So did you, by chance, ever take a, a, a really nasty spill and, and couldn't really walk for a couple days? And he's like, oh, which one? And we went through, no, that's not it. That's not the vector. That's not the right amount of force. That's not the right kind. We finally thought we nailed it down. And he showed me he, he fell into some barriers uh, pretty hard. I mean, it, it was in the rain. I mean, it was, it was pretty tough. But it was the wrong hip. Uh, or if you're a fan of Wallace and Gromit, it's the wrong trousers, Gromit. And... Um, so we continued, and I said, okay, well, we tried. I'll roll with that for right now, but it doesn't really, that doesn't check the box for me. It's not, it doesn't fit how the speed, the angle, it just doesn't fit. And we went out to lunch uh, before we went to film, and I can't remember if I, if I asked him about his upbringing or if he just brought it up, but we were talking, and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, something about a farm, I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, farm is really physical. And he's like, yeah, you know, oh, 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 you know what? When I was seven, my older brother and I, we were out playing and we he jumped off a, a hay bale, the really big ones, not the small ones, the really big ones, the round ones that are out in the field. Uh, and he was probably 12 or 13 and I was seven. He was much taller than me. And now, you know, for some reason that just jiggled my memory and I remembered that I couldn't walk for a couple days after that on that side. Could that be it? I mean, it's so long ago. Could that be it it's at seven? I said, absolutely. It matches the force vector. It matches what I'm seeing with your movement pattern. So think about that. Seven years old. And here he's in his late 20s, early 30s uh, and still having effect from that. So this is that personal experience, things that have gone, that you've gone through in your life really affect. Um, so we've covered a lot in today's episode. Now, I know that you know at least five or six people who need to hear what we talked about today. You know, the people that say, oh, you just need to stretch your hamstrings to solve your back pain, or you just need to stretch your hip flexors and do yoga to solve your back pain. Share this episode with them. Share this episode, start a conversation. If they want to start a conversation with me, that's totally cool. Uh, I have lots of different content out there on back pain for cyclists, blog posts. Uh, it's in each of my uh, courses, the Strength Training for Cyclist Certification. It's lower, really, it's really just one of the lower threads. When I say lower, foundational threads, it's going through the whole course. Uh, so a lot of information out there for this. Uh, and if you have back pain, if this has struck a chord with you, and you have been told by a number of different surgeons or physios that it's in your head or they don't know what it is or nobody's been able to tell you exactly what the mechanism or tissues involved are, email me, Brody, B as in boy, R-O-D as in dog, I-E at humanvortextraining.com. Uh, let's set up a virtual assessment. We'll jump on the phone call first. Again, this is a paid session. Uh, if we wind up doing a virtual consult or you wind up flying in for me, uh, that fee is deducted from what the normal fee would be for the regular visit. So it's not getting you twice. It's we spend some time on the on the phone uh, or on Zoom and you'd be surprised. Uh, I've been surprised uh, a couple times to help people just through the Zoom, get out of pain, just uh, uh, virtual talk. We just hear what's going on. So that's it for today. There's so much more to this. Um, we really barely, you know, we didn't even start scraping the windshield and there's about a, a centimeter and a half of ice there, if you will. <laughs> if you've ever had to scrape a windshield in the Northeast or in Canada, although those in Canada, you're far more experienced with that than I am. Uh, there is a lot more to this. Uh, so make sure you're giving us a five-star review wherever you downloaded this podcast from. Share it with those five to 10 people that you know need to hear this information. Back pain is not related to tight hamstrings or hip flexors. That is very rarely the case. There are so many other factors of which we spoke about today. So until next time, oh, and remember to hit the subscribe button and head on over to the Human Vortex Training YouTube channel and check out the bevy of videos we have there teaching you how to strength train and learn how to spine sparingly move better. Uh, we have the McGill Big Three up there cued properly. Please do not go to YouTube and Google or YouTube McGill Crunch. There's only a handful of videos out there on how to do it properly. Mine is one, Dr. McGill's uh, is the other. 
And I think now there's two others from McGill uh, practitioners. So there's five total out of the 800 or 900 that are out there showing you how, quote unquote, how to do the McGill crunch. Be careful. Uh, the same thing applies to the side plank as well as the bird dog. Uh, so the bird dog video that I have up there is specific for cyclists and triathletes. It shows you three levels. There's actually many more, but these are the three basic levels. I'll put a link in the show notes for you, which you can check out over at humanvortextraining.com. So until next time, remember, train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you and better understanding how the body works and actual evidence-based practice. Back pain is not caused by tight hamstrings. It is not caused by tight hip flexors. It is not caused by just long hours in a saddle. Oh, wait. Yes, it is. I'll talk to you guys next week. Have a fantastic week. Have a fantastic pain-free week. And practice that spine hygiene. That's it for this episode of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast with world-leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Don't miss an episode. Hit that subscribe button and give us a review. For more exclusive content, visit humanvortextraining.com or get the latest expert videos from Coach Brody on the HVT YouTube channel at HB Training. Until next time, Remember to train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you.